Okay, the Canadian Rockies. The Canadian Rockies. Great place to visit. Not that I've been there. We've got family there. And look, just imagine you're canoeing down, uh, down the river there. You know, and, and it's calm and serene. And all of a sudden, you come across white water. And beyond, white, beyond the white water, you can see that it falls away. Drastically so. And the water's getting faster and faster. Your first response is fear. If you've got any sense of that, you, your first response is fear. Secondly, is to shoot some arrow prayers, isn't it? If you're a believer, God, help! But then what? Well, 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 you just pray to God, you unbeliever. <laughs> I want to look at that with you now. Okay, that's what we're exploring in this passage with David and Goliath. Fear, obviously. Prayer. Good, good on you. But then what? Then what? What do you do when you canoe? You're heading at breakneck speed towards this fall, but you've prayed to God and you believe in Him. So what do you do next? Um, Thanks, Sid. So that is the question, isn't it? So we're going to look at that together in this passage. So we're back in David and Goliath. I do apologize. Okay, it's going on and on and on. Next week is the last one, unless you give me another point. And if you do, it's your own fault then, okay? Okay. And in this battle, we see that question answered. What do we do next? Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you, Sylvia. Yes. And, and that's a legitimate response. I uh, know I would be. Okay. And we're, so we're going to ask what David would have done in that canoe in those circumstances fear prayer and then what okay so so far we've had the kingdom needs people who are passionate for god's honor secondly we had the kingdom needs people willing to use their skill sets and thank you for everyone who's done that today thirdly today there's only one more next week the kingdom the kingdom needs people with informed faith Notice the adjective there is very important here. Needs people with informed faith. Faith by itself can be incredibly dangerous. We only need to look at what happened on September the 11th a few years ago. Faith isolated by itself can be disastrous, dangerous. And what we want to suggest is that faith, for it to be authentic, needs to be informed it needs to be reasonable needs to be on a sound basis and it needs to be in something that has proven ability to respond to the thing for which we've placed faith in it just random faith we've seen and seen many times in our world can be incredibly dangerous so we're asking we're suggesting David has informed faith. It's not just dangling by itself in thin air. It's, it's anchored to something. It's informed. It's intelligent. And we want to look at what that means, what that looks like. We're suggesting David has an informed faith. What does it look like? And here's, here's five points. We've got five headings. There are different lengths each that, that I see through God's Spirit, through your prayer helping me in this passage. Number one, A. Informed faith has the true God as the object in which it places his confidence. Number one, 
informed faith has the true God as the object in which he places his confidence. Look at verse 45. David says, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. We can say, hey, that's just, that's just his God, his belief, his preference. But I want to suggest it's much more than that. David isn't just believing in some deity, because this is what his mom and dad told him. David is putting his confidence in this deity by the name. We don't use the name in the Old Testament. It's been translated Lord mostly. But the name is Yahweh, and the pronunciation no one knows properly. Okay, But something of akin to that. that. And David knows about this God through ancient writings that have been passed on from generation to generation amongst his own people. In fact, these writings, these ancient texts, uh, have the very inception, conception, of the race of people to which he believes. David has been taught from a very young age, uh, from this literature, about the interaction of this being, Yahweh, with his tribe of people in the world and what stands out about that literature and that interaction between the divine that David is uh, having confidence in and the world and his people is that it's littered with supernatural, unexplainable phenomena. If you look at ancient religious texts, they lack that. I don't know if you're aware of that. When you look at the ancient religious texts of the religions of the world, they lack that explosion of the supernatural supporting what's been said. The Bible is quite unique in that sense, in that David has been versed in texts, ancient texts, that speak about a being, a divine being, by the name of Yahweh, engaging with his people, continually, overwhelmingly, through supernatural endeavours. And look, Katie's done, already done a brilliant apologetic sermon, so I don't want to go too much into apologetics, but just to say this, that David's hope is in much more than mere ancient texts. It's text and history about this divine interacting in a way which you can measure these truths. So for example, he knows of a Abraham and of an Elijah. I mean, I've got a picture there. He, he, he's learned of, of the supernatural activities of such characters, of an Elijah who, who called, who at his word stopped rain on the nation, at his word brought down fire from heaven, supernatural activity. He knows of a Gideon in these ancient texts who defeated an entire Midianite army, which is 300 unarmed people. These are the, 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 the characters and the examples and the messages that David has grown up with. And it's on that God who has proven himself to interact in human cause supernaturally over and over and over and over again that David is now trusting. Can you see? It's not mere blind faith. It's confidence in ancient literature that has been passed on from generation to generation that speaks of a divine being who interacts supernaturally. And it's on that being that David is anchoring his, his hope and similarly ready to show him acting on his behalf. We call those ancient texts that the Jewish people have passed on from generation to generation the Old Testament. We now have, in addition to that, the continuation of, that, of those texts in what we call the New Testament. The former in Hebrew, the latter in Greek, also similarly passed on now 
through this character. Now we're introduced not to Yahweh in the New Testament literature, but to a new figure, Jesus, who claims to be the representative of Yahweh and the physical presence of that divine being. Here's what Colossians says about him. One of his followers wrote this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus, it's claimed by those who followed him, based on similar supernatural activity of Jesus. Again, Jesus, for all his claims, would have been sidelined, sidelined and rubbish if they were mere words. But what stood out to the disciples and what they catalogued over and over again was the systematic explosion of supernatural activity which demonstrated some support for what this man was saying. To say that I'm God and then to be assassinated and rise from the dead and to reveal yourself to 500 people and more gives some credibility and it's these people who wrote he is the image of Yahweh and so so it's in this God that we now know is Jesus is a physical manifestation that David anchors his faith the point is this that David isn't just believing in anything look I could believe this wood this wood can what can it do this wood can float my weight on the, on, the, on the great oceans. And I could put all my confidence in that piece of wood floating my weight in a storm in the ocean. Now I could believe that as hard as I like, what impact would I have on that piece of wood floating me in water? Zero. In fact, I tried this when I was 16. I just got converted and I desperately, Ricky, I desperately wanted a motorcycle. My best friend had one and I wanted one. But I wanted not just a standard one, I wanted one with a fairing at the front that looked like a race replica and went really fast. And I've just been reading about John Wimber and about faith and about how you have to believe it and, they, and you'll have it. And so I stood at the bus stop and I closed my eyes and I said, Lord, I'm envisaging a super fast green motorcycle with a fairing around the front that goes really fast and when I open my eyes it's going to be there and I open my eyes at the bus stop and guess what was in front of me? The bus. <laughs> you see what our object of faith is in matters it matters and what we have faith from matters David's informed faith meant that he put his confidence and hope in a God who had proven himself as documented in the history of the nation to which he be belonged. The first point is simply, you must have some reason, some rationale for putting confidence in the deity that you believe in. I belong to some, a group of people who say it's enough just to believe. I want to suggest, and David would suggest, you're a fool. The thing you put your faith in has to have substance. There has to be rationale for your confidence. Number one then, number one, informed faith has to have the true God as the object in which he places his confidence. Secondly, B, informed faith lines up with, lines up its purposes 
with God's sovereign purposes and will. Do you see that? Informed faith lines up its purposes with God's sovereign purposes and will. The reason David is so confident about defeating Goliath is because he knows that he knows that he knows that the Philistines are marked, are dead men walking. That's what it is. He knows that. He knows that God has judicially sentenced them to eviction from the land and if necessary termination in order to achieve that. He knows that's what's been written in those ancient texts. So Exodus 23, God says through Moses, to Moses, I will establish your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and you will drive them out before you. David knew that. He was versed in the scripture. It's why he's so indignant in the face of this Philistine. He's like, you don't even belong here, mate. You've been evicted. His confidence is in this God is that this is a foregone conclusion that he does not belong there, the Philistine. That his people do not belong there. That God has insisted they should be evicted. So it's on that basis he says to him, who, verse 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy God? I mean, it's simply put like this. If, if well, I'm thinking the person most likely to do this. If, if Greg just defies the law outrightly, goes down the road and says, I'm driving the wrong way up this street. Up this one-way street. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Right, okay, if he does that, a police officer rightly will pull him up and be indignant towards him. How dare you defy the rules of this nation? And that's, that's exactly what David is doing. Can you see what his faith is anchored in? It's anchored in the will and the purpose, the revealed will and purpose of God. This isn't David just going on a whim. This isn't David just having a, a moan because this doesn't suit his agenda. This is David's faith being informed about what God's will and purpose is. And the thing it teaches us, what David teaches us here, is that the thing we believe in and the thing that we pray for, like that bite that I believed I was going to get, has to line up with God's purpose. For faith to be authentic, the thing that we have faith for has to line up with the divine in whom we are putting our confidence. And the Bible says that clearly. It's in 1 John, one of Jesus' disciples, it says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. So we have approached confidence when we talk to him. That if we ask for anything, and here's a qualifier, according to his will. That bug that I wanted had to be within God's will. For me, there and then, and it wasn't. Okay, it was a bus. Okay, the thing that we pray for, the thing that David had confidence in, in taking on Goliath, is has to have this fundamental principle attached to it. It has to be. The only prayer of faith, of genuine faith you pray, is the prayer that is, that is in line perfectly with God's will and purposes. And so we know when Jesus said those words that Theo read for us so lovely, 
In other words, when Jesus says, if you have, oh, you have little faith, if I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. It sounds almost like, it sounds like, doesn't it? If I have the right and quality of faith, or whatever level of faith, I can do something as spectacular as moving mountains. And do you know, you're talking to the most stupid guy that you could ever meet, because I've tried all these things. I'm really silly. I've tried them all, and I can tell you they work. Not. Okay, Jesus wasn't giving stupid me a license to whatever I imagine, whatever I believe, whatever takes my fancy, the crazier the better, as long as I believe it. I'm going to make it happen. It's not what he's saying. Jesus' point isn't, here's a free license. No, when we read what Jesus is speaking about, Jesus' point is simply this. If your purposes are lined up with God's, then if, even if it means that he has to uproot a mountain, he will do it. That's the point. Is that you see, because nothing is impossible with God, nothing is impossible for you, so long as the thing that you have faith in is lined up with God's purposes. And Christian, when our purposes are lined up with God's purposes, the most stupendous miracles occur. Hey, we, we don't believe in this church that we're beyond the age of the miraculous. Well, I don't. And I know you don't. It's a matter of lining up our wills and desires with God's. And sometimes here's the thing about learning about wills and desires with God's. It just maybe it's not now. Just because, because that thing didn't occur or happen in exactly the way we expected yesterday doesn't mean it may not be God's will tomorrow. Sometimes it's just a matter of timing. And so it's a good thing sometimes to pray on. So informed faith lines up its purposes with God's sovereign purposes and will. Number three, informed faith accommodates the use of strategic strategies. That's you try and say that when you've had a couple. Okay? Okay? Not that I have a couple. Okay. Three. No, 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 I'm just joking, Ricky. Okay. Informed faith accommodates the use of strategic strategies to achieve its purpose. That's one that goes out the window for people of faith so often. You see, having seen last week that David used his own skills to set against Goliath, to, against Goliath, when he said, I want to ask you a question. Having heard, of, if, you've, if, you have, if you missed last week's sermon, it's online, okay? But if you've heard it, here's a question. David defeated, having heard that he defeated Goliath by his skill set, what did he mean when he said this? Verse 37, the, the Lord deliver me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear. The Lord will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What did David mean when he said, by faith, God will deliver me from Goliath? Did he mean that as he goes up against Goliath, that Goliath would have an aneurysm, <laughs> collapse on the battlefields, or did he mean that as Goliath ran towards him, a bolt of lightning from out the blue would zap him on the head? 
What did he mean? Because look, this is faith in God, isn't it? The Lord will deliver me from the hand of the Lord. That's a bold statement of faith. What did he mean? Pardon? He won't kill him because, because he's going to kill him. And that's a very important point here about faith. Okay? Well, David was not expecting God to zap him supernaturally on the battlefield. When he says, God will deliver me, what David meant is that I'm going to kill him. It's very important to understand what he's saying there. When he said God is going to do this, he meant I'm going to do it. And so you can use, I want you to see a complex connection between great faith and human activity. Or as I'll go to your strategic strategies. I said it's strategic because boy, he was a clever boy. He took Goliath on, on exactly his own terms. And he lured Goliath to the exact battle location that he wanted him in. David is an incredibly intelligent man. So the point is simply this, that, that when he said God would deliver him, what he meant was for, verse 49, reaching into his bag, he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. David's great faith in God wasn't passive. David's grace Great faith in God wasn't an excuse for inactivity. David's great faith in God led to great activity. I hope I don't embarrass Simeon, but Simeon has a passion to reach people in our city. And no matter how much passion he has to reach a particular group of people with Bibles, that is not going to happen if he doesn't get out there and give out some Bibles. Do you get the point? It's why he does that. It's why he does that. Great faith and great action are complexly anchored together in the Bible. And so we take from over the, the other side of the world, the motherland, uh, uh, and Oliver Cromwell. You know the famous line that he said to his troops in 1642 in Edge Hill as his troops were about to go into battle put your trust in God have great faith and yeah. because what happened if your gunpowder wasn't dry it doesn't go off and if your gunpowder doesn't go dry when a guy is running towards if it isn't dry and a guy is running towards you with his dry gunpowder what happens to you you're dead you see the combination? It's complex and it almost seems contradictory and, it's almost, and it seems like you're letting the side down. If you've got great faith and then, you, then you've got to keep your gunpowder dry, you're letting the side down. No! What Cromwell said lines up perfectly what, with what David demonstrated that great faith, when he says God would deliver me, he meant that he was going to kill Goliath. But that God, and this is the complex grey area where the two meet. God was going to do it he was going to kill Goliath. And the two of these met in such a way that the whole thing took place under the auspices and oversight and sovereignty of God. Do you see? It's this, this grey area which is too complex for little brains like mine. But somehow these two things merge. And the purpose and will of God was done that day through David killing that 
Philistine. And look, we see it all over the New Testament. You notice something, if, if you're new to the church, I'll just explain the rationale. We never preach the Old Testament in this church because it's, a, it's from the bygone covenant. What we do instead, we take elements of the bygone uh, covenant, the old covenant, and we, we ask, what does Jesus do with this? Jesus and his apostles. And so, you'll see me constantly, ever before an application, I want to know what Jesus says about that. And here's what Jesus says about what David did. He says it through the Apostle Paul. He shows us through the actions of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was in a shipwreck. He and, his, and, and the men with him, he's a prisoner, the men with him, their lives are doomed, death is imminent. And yet, because he's a man of prayer, a man of faith, and God's will is for David to get to Rome, this is what he says to him. I urge you, he speaks, as a prisoner, he speaks to the ship um, uh, men. I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So, says Paul, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. They will happen just as he told me. What's his faith in God before we read further? What's his faith in God? What does he have faith in God is going to happen? They'll all survive and they're going run. That's faith. And do you know what he does, this worldly fellow next? The very next thing he says? And he demonstrates what a worldly guy he is. Because he just says, I have faith he's going to do this. You're going to be saved. None of you are going to die. And then this carnal man says what? Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Can you see what he's doing? He's saying, God will get us across. But you've got to make sure you get this ship to land straight away. Yes, God will deliver us. But you better pull your finger out. Or pull your socks off. And do something. Can you see? Faith. And he's the greatest apostle in the New Testament. And so when he said, God will deliver us, he was thinking, these sailors... My life is in the hands of these sailors. They have to get this ship to land. Look, you must run aground on some island. God's purposes come about through human endeavors. We see it all over the Bible. Let me skip back to the old very, very quickly. Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Without it, there was no possible of life continuing with any normality in the city. And so this is what he said to the people. He says, the God of heaven will give us success to build this Wall. So sit down and watch it go together. It's not what he said. The God of heaven will give, you, give us success. We, his servant, would start rebuilding. Informed faith accommodates the use of strategic strategies to achieve its purpose. Christian. It's not faith but stupidity or uh, presumption to say God's going to do this and to sit back. It's like that old joke, isn't it? About uh, they got some money and they're wondering how much to give to God and how much to keep. And I think the one guy says, you know, we'll give him so much, so much and keep back so much. The other guy says, no, we'll give him 50% and keep back 50 And the third guy says, no, we'll throw it in the air and what God wants to keep, he'll keep. <laughs> we can be like that, can't we? If it's God's will to do this, he'll do it. Just sit back and let him do it. And I think God sees the thing. You're born idol. Get off your bottom and do something. 
Yes, it is my will, but my will is that you do it. Montez. I always have to remind myself about that. That, that God's will comes about through human activity, through strategic strategies. David didn't just, and that's the important point, David didn't just run towards Goliath. I'm going to put this down. Okay. And just hope for the best. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll knock him over when he's not looking. I'm little after all, supposedly. No. He thought about it. He planned it. He got himself prepared. He gave himself every advantage. He made sure he was going to win. And then went forward. Christian. Hey, have faith in God. But do things. Do things. God's purposes come through us acting out his purposes. D, informed faith doesn't snub intelligent planning. So we've had strategic strategies. Here's another one. Informed faith doesn't snub, doesn't say no to intelligent planning to provide for all possible contingencies. Informed faith doesn't snub intelligent planning to provide for all possible contingencies. Another misnomer about faith. You know, hey, don't worry, God will think of, think of some backup plans if that doesn't work out. No, not, not David. I want to show you what David did here. Verse 40. He went down, he took his staff in his hand and he went down to the river and he chose... I want to ask you, how many stones did he choose? Yes, Graham. Five stones. Okay. Just hang on a bit for me, Greg. I'm going to mention when the next slide comes up. Five stones. Look, I know there's a passage in 2 Samuel, and I want to suggest it's been misread, that suggests that David had four brothers, uh, Goliath had four brothers, and so he picked up five stones, because after they killed Goliath, each of the other stones were for the other four brothers. Look, that, that's just conjecture. Goliath had some relatives, they're not even sure how close those relatives were, and it's his entire conjecture to suggest those four stones were for the four brothers. Look, if they really were there with Goliath, they weren't going to take it in turns going one by one to give David a chance to get each of his stones in his sling, were they? I mean, if they were there, they would have just run, run for him simultaneously. I don't think there's any biblical support for that. I'm going to give you an alternative, and here's, a, here's what I do think is going on. David took four stones, five stones, because you know what, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Because, because he may have missed. It's as simple as that. He took five stones because he's not stupid, is he? He's going to try and he's a running target at the cost, at the pain of his life. Okay, if this were just for a Mars bar, I'd just take one stone because I don't really care for Mars bars. But if it's a Snickers, I might take two stones because I care about that. If it's for my life, I'm going to take a bucket lot of stones because I want to fire as many stones at Goliath as I possibly... What if he doesn't go down with the first one? What if it's a flesh wound? I'm thinking of Monty Python here. What if, what if it's a flesh wound? Can you see the point? Why did David take five stones? It's obvious, isn't it? They were insurance policies. David took um, a plan a, uh, he had a plan A, but he had a plan B, the second stone, a plan C, the third stone, a plan D, the fourth stone, a plan E. David had five plans. 
If the first one failed, number two would get him. If number two failed, number three would get him. If number three failed, number four would get him. If number four failed, his fifth stone would get Goliath because Bali now is much closer. And can you see, with each stone, he's getting closer. With each stone, his level of accuracy is increasing. With each stone, his chance of success is increasing. This is a guy who had contingency plans. But here's one thing, you, probably, you may not have thought of me. If you have, God bless you. Just be very careful. Can I have the next slide, please, Greg? And the next one. Uh, those pictures there. Okay. He had plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. David had plan F2. Someone tell me. This guy was insured to the hilt. Okay. He had plan F. What was plan F? He didn't have a sword. We know he didn't carry a sword. But thank you, Pam. That's a good one. Right. Faith had faith. Okay, that could be one. But we'll take G then. Okay. Run. Run. Yes, that's exactly, that was gave him an advantage. If you're running with a sling, it increases your speed. What did you say, Sid? Stop. Yes. Next one, please. We think that the staff, don't we, was to carry his lunch pack, lunch pack on his back. You know, like they do in the kids' storybooks. That was a lethal weapon in the hand of a trained person. And what has David already said that he's good at? He didn't kill all those animals with a sling. That staff, like this picture demonstrates, I got this from a kiddie's sight, and I thought, there's somebody who gets it, okay? That staff was insurance policy F, because if the five stones failed, David was lethal. He's a trained killer, wasn't he? He spent all his time practicing. What do you do when you keep sheep? He could have either disarmed Goliath with a weapon of that nature or even laid heavy blows on him in order to get his sword off him, Pam, I'm sure. And so, can you see the, 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 the single thing here? David went into the battle, armed to the hilt, insurance policies galore, six of them, for goodness sake. This guy doesn't seem to have any faith, does he? You know, you know, we need to take out that many insurance policies. You know, it's those people, you know, you've been to the house before, you knock on the door, and then it's <coughs> and then you think you're getting in, don't you? You're not. Then it's kick, 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 kick. How am I ever going to get into this place? Okay. This guy had six insurance policies on his door. Didn't, did he lack faith? No. Great faith and taking contingency plans go together. So here's what I want to ask you. You want to do something great for God? We want to do something great for God? We want to make a difference? When you go into an endeavour, I want to see your insurance policies. What's the backup plan? What are you going to do if that doesn't work out? Run home? Oh, we have a failure? I mean, David had no intention after the fifth stone ran out to run home. So he took his staff. And so when we do these faith adventures, we've got adventures, we've got to ask ourselves, what's the backup plan? What's the get out clause? How do we get out so we can regroup and go forward again? What's that insurance policy? What's going to back it up? Do you know, uh, look, I'm just speaking off the cuff here, but I'm pretty certain this is true, that when filmmakers make a film, if you notice, when you start to watch the beginning of any movie and you see who's produced the film, MGM or whoever, have you, always, have you noticed almost in every case there's at least two or three film producers who have joined together to produce a film. Do you know why that is? Spread the risk. Because a, a film has mammoth, mammoth expenditure attached to it, particularly sci-fi, and so they spread the risks. 
authentic informed faith engages in exploits and spreads the risks has backup plans support last one i'm nearly finished nearly finished informed faith doesn't waver when the odds are seemingly stacked up against it look Goliath is described in 5 or 6 as being formidable. And look, I've already said that he's not as formidable as we imagine he is, but he's still pretty formidable. And on paper, he still may look like David is up against it. He's got his, you know, he's, he's up against the wall. You know, he, Goliath is bigger than David. He's probably better trained than David. And he's got more, presumably more lethal weapons than David. Okay, at least in close hand-to-hand combat. And so David is up against him. No one else will fight him. But informed faith still goes in for the kill. You see the same in Paul. Paul, this is what Paul says in the New Testament. I only know that in every city that the Holy Spirit, that when I go to every city, that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He goes, God warns me through his spirit every city I go to of all the dangers. And you know what Paul says that I do? When I hear about those dangers, I quiver and I turn around and go to another city in hoping to be less dangerous there. See what he says. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. Hey, informed faith says, even if the odds are against us and all the other things being equal, sometimes we still go. Sometimes we still go for the kill. Informed faith doesn't waver when the odds are seemingly stacked up against this ability. Look, and here's a reality. In whatever endeavor, faith endeavor would do, there'll always be glitches. Something will always go wrong. I love the Mission Impossible film series. I watch them, you know, whenever I get a chance. And no matter how well Ethan Hunt and his crew, no matter how meticulously they plan an operation, what always, what is always, what, what, is all, what does always happen? That doesn't make sense. Uh, what always happens? No matter how meticulously they plan these operations. Do you watch Mission Impossible? What always happens? They always go wrong, don't they? They always go wrong. So Ethan is climbing up that building in, in uh, the Middle East. I forget the country now. Uh, and the glove runs out of battery, doesn't it? The one he's climbing up with. You know, and then he has to... It always goes wrong. And so here's the thing. When you engage in a faith endeavour, and this is what David was prepared for, it will go wrong sometimes. But you press on. You have your insurance policies in place, you group, and you press on. And we press on knowing this. And here's what Jesus said to us, friends. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's with you guys. He's with us. So informed faith considers that, that just the last like I said, Greg, informed faith has to have God as his object, the true God, his purposes have to line up with God's purposes, it accommodates the use of strategies, it doesn't snub in intelligent planning, and it doesn't waver. When all those things are lined up, we move forward in faith. That's faith. That's authentic faith. 
And so just finish with that illustration at the beginning. You're in a canoe in the, in the Rockies and you're going down on a serene day and all of a sudden there's white water and there's a drop ahead of you and you know it's going to be catastrophe if you fall off. You fear, first response, you pray to God and have a prayer, God help me. What do you do next? What, 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 would, what would David have done next? He would have turned the thing around and paddled for his life. You don't just sit in the canoe and wait for God to airlift you out of it. Whatever the future of Living Word Bible Church, we don't just sit in our houses and wait for God to bless it. Whether financially, whether with personnel to serve, whether with new members or whether with converts. It doesn't happen in our bedrooms. Believing it will happen. It happens when we collectively, in faith in God, engage in the work with strategic strategies, insurance policies, and without wavering. It's what we're doing. Do more of it in Jesus' name. Amen.